Good morning. Welcome to Encounter Church. Um, my name is Chris Causey, and I'm the lead pastor here. And um, I want to start off with um, a happy Mother's Day to my mom, who's watching. It's like, my baby. Um, and so happy Mother's Day to you. You're the best mom ever. And if I could pick, I'd still pick you. Um, and happy Mother's Day to my wife, who will watch this later as well. Um, so that's my Mother's Day cards. Thank you for being present for that moment. Um, and happy Mother's Day to those who are in the room and to all who got us in the room, right? We pour a little bit out for you, Mom, because without you, we would not be here. Um, <clears throat> yes. I, I mean, like, there is no amount of pay that we could ever give our moms, especially after you become a parent and you realize what they actually put up with. Like, we think we're good. We think we're okay, like low maintenance. And then we have children, and we're like, hold up. Was this what they dealt with for years without any pay, without any reward? Like, being a mom for the first 25 to 35 years is not very rewarding. And I promise, Mom, one day you'll get that reward. Actually, I think grandchildren perhaps are maybe that reward um, based on what I see in my own household. Um, so you're welcome. And um, so anyways, glad you're here today. Um, and we recognize that this day is, is a mixed day for some of us because some of us are celebrating a mom who's with us. Some of us are celebrating a mom who's passed and just kind of dealing with the great gift that we had that's currently not around the table. And then also knowing that Mother's Day, for even in our own household, was a reminder for seven years of infertility struggles. And so I just want to be mindful of the fact that like, we all come into this room, we all come into to Mother's Day, and that it's not a neutral holiday. It's because someone um, is shaped that holiday, whether in their absence or their presence. And so in, in some ways, it kind of points to the power of people in our lives. And so that's why I just wanted to take a moment and celebrate the good that we have um, but also recognize and acknowledge, like, for some of you, today is a hard day, and you're just trying to get through. And I, I thank you that you came here today, that you chose to join us online today on a day that many of us um, kind of forget that there's some people who just don't want to get out of bed, who just want to skip today. And so thank you sincerely for being here for that. And I think for all of us, today is um, a potentially powerful day. Um, mainly because I'm about to show you a picture you're not going to unsee for the rest of your life. Um, you see, in um, around the 40-mile stretch of Padre Island in Texas, there is this very strange phenomenon that happens there. Uh, more trash washes up on that 40-mile stretch of the beaches than anywhere else in the Gulf of Mexico. But specifically, what has been fascinating recently is there has been dozens and dozens of creepy dolls that have washed up on the shoreline. Now, <clears throat> these creepy dolls, which I have limited to only two, you're welcome, because you cannot unsee this once you see this, and these are not the worst ones, okay? So I recognize there might be small children in here, and last thing I want to do for a mother on Mother's Day is make your kid not be able to sleep because they saw that, right? Because that is in your closet. That is coming to get you while you're sleeping, all right? Like, that, that's what that is when we see that, okay? Yep, you're welcome. Can't unsee it. That's my gift to you. Happy Mother's Day. Um, so, like, what's fascinating is the reason these things have been washing up on shore is because of the location of this beach. Uh, there is essentially this kind of tunnel effect that happens with currents in the Gulf of Mexico that 
washes all trash and all containers that have spilled over. It creates this current that leads them to wash up on this small, narrow, 40-mile stretch. This invisible current is the reason dozens of these creepy, creepy things keep washing up. And in some ways, in this series in Soul Detox, I want to look at one of those invisible currents that are constantly pushing things into our life. It's a current that we're not even oftentimes aware of in the same way that we would stand on the beach and say, why are all these creepy dolls here? And we look out the ocean and we have no idea that underneath the surface is a series of currents that are constantly pushing the creepy and the broken and the trashy right on the shore. And Jesus actually is very deeply aware of this current in our life. It's one of the most powerful currents in our life. And it's this awareness that causes him to turn in this very strange moment of teaching about halfway through his ministry and say uh, a series of statements that almost seem disconnected at first. And this is honestly a passage that were I to press in, we would spend two or three weeks on it. In fact, I'm I'm not even going to talk about the surface level of this thing because Jesus is understanding there is a current underneath the surface and it's that current that I want to call attention to this morning because I know this about you and your story without even knowing you. This current is shaping your life. This current is causing things to wash up in the shoreline of your life. And for many of us, we stand confused, perplexed, we feel trapped and bound and oftentimes not even aware of why these things keep pressing up. And in some ways, I just want to draw attention to it this morning. If you have the Encounter Church app, which you can download for free at EncounterChurch.com forward slash app, uh, you'll find I've already preloaded the passage that we're going to look at today and a series of questions that I think naturally came out of this as I was reflecting on this passage this past week. Because this current, this invisible current, is shaping your life, and Jesus wants us to break free. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you. At that time, halfway through his ministry, Jesus has sent the 12 disciples out. He's established a team, a group of followers, and they're moving, and things are beginning to happen. He's moved from being a regional rabbi, someone who's just had a known presence in the the portion of Israel where he grew up, where he has a ministry, and now it's starting to expand geographically. He's becoming nationally known. And with that national kind of awareness, with that national platform, he's starting to get even more pressure because now he's starting to bump up against leaders who feel very uncomfortable with what Jesus is saying and how he's challenging them. And so in the middle of internal and external pressures and all the religious and political pressures of his day, Jesus stops and says this. At this time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven. So he's praying out loud. Because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and and no one knows the Father except the Son, and to those whom the Son chooses to reveal him. So not exactly very clear yet what's happening. I've given you a little bit of the context, but if you were to read even deeper into the context, this is still not super clear what Jesus is doing here. And then Jesus shifts. He's vocally said out loud this prayer. And now he looks to the crowd and he says this. Come to me, all you 
who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's, like I said, there's so much here. And honestly, I mean, we could spend a few hours unpacking just these few sentences. But Jesus is on to something in this passage. This is the first thing that clued me into this deeper current that's very much similar to those dolls and the power it brings things into our life. And I was like, oh my goodness, Jesus gets something here. Um, in 1896, a guy named John Haldane designed what you see in front of you. This is called a canary resuscitation cage. The reason he designed this was because he was invited in after a massive explosion in a coal mine that killed a ton of people. And, and his challenge was to figure out how to protect the lives of coal miners. And so he came up with this understanding. He deduced that it was probably carbon monoxide that had built up inside of the coal mine and, and blew up in response to a spark. So he figured out, well, if I can put something in the coal mine that's very sensitive to carbon monoxide, then maybe we can actually warn the, the coal miners. And so he comes up with this idea of putting a canary in a coal mine. And this is the cage he designs to do it. Now, he's also humanitarian and, and very sympathetic towards those sweet little canaries. And so this chamber, which this was open, and there's a grill there that would trap the canary in, which is by, so stinking cute, by the way. And, and so that, that door would stay open, the cage was there, the air would come in, and if they noticed the canary beginning to get woozy and pass out, they would immediately close the cage and turn on the oxygen chamber, which would flood the inside of that cage with fresh oxygen so that the canary could be resuscitated, hence the canary resuscitation cage, right? Which is really sweet because oftentimes when you hear about the canary in the coal mine, you're like, how mean is that? They just kill birds for the sake of protecting us, which is good, but like the actual design was to protect the canaries too. So anyways, just a, a random piece of history for you in that. But Jesus is, is, in some ways, is a lot like John Haldane. He's calling attention, right? He says he's revealed them to little children. Why does he call out little children? It's because little children don't just accept the world the way adults do. Little children have this very annoying tendency to ask the question, why? You ever notice that? Why? Why? And after the fifth time, you're like, it's because I said so. Or if you're religious, because God did that and you can't argue with God. <laughs> we'll pull out that card. But they just ask it. I've got a two-year-old who's starting to ask why. And he's like, why, Daddy? And I'm like, I can't possibly explain this to you, son. But I will try. Why, Daddy? Well, I'm going to try a little bit more. Why, Daddy? Because that's the way the world is, son. Accept it and live with it and move on from it, right? I mean, you just feel this tendency. But kids are in some ways the canary in our own culture. Right? If you were to, to look at studies, um, as, as uh, Dallas and I were texting a couple weeks ago, Dallas is going to be speaking next week, wrapping up the series. I'm super excited for that. 
and what he's going to say to you. And I texted him an article I read about students and kids, and Dallas leads our student ministry and does a phenomenal job on Sunday nights with that. And, um, and it was talking about the impact and the tendencies that's been happening in our culture from anxiety and depression, not just in the pandemic, but this general trend over the last 10 years within preteens and teenagers. In some ways, they're the canary in our culture. They're dealing with pressure. They're increased anxiety, depression, body image issues, questions along all kinds of spectrums because they're the canaries. They're the most sensitive to the currents in our culture. And Jesus is calling attention to that. He's pointing out that to them. So this is the uh, water tower for Potwin, Kansas. And just north of Potwin, Kansas, is a family called the Arnolds. The Arnolds moved to a farm here. This is the Google satellite view of that. Um, and one of the things that they noticed right after moving to this farm, less than two weeks actually, uh, was these bizarre moments that seemed to happen regularly. Like the first moment when um, a sheriff's deputy arrived, pounding on the door, wanting to know where the stolen car was. And then just a couple days later, someone arrives wanting to know where their stolen computer is. And then <coughs> the ambulance that shows up looking for the veteran who's threatened to commit suicide. And then the FBI who shows up looking for a human trafficking ring. The other authorities who come convinced their stolen credit cards regularly passing through, they would wake up in the middle of the night, people wandering throughout their property, some on top of their barns. And they started to kind of say, this is a little strange. Packages would be delivered there that they never ordered. And this thing kept happening. Eventually started getting threatening phone calls, people demanding that they know where they are and that they're coming to get them. And this kept growing and growing and growing. And then one day they got a phone call from a reporter. They said, hey, do you guys get weird, weird phone calls? And they're like, oh my goodness, do we ever. We've been accused from stealing cars to running a human trafficking ring, from stealing credit cards to committing fraud for the IRS, like, you name it, we've done it. And he says, I think I figured out why. You see, underneath the internet is a company, one of many companies, and MaxMind. MaxMind is a company whose job is to sell to advertisers, to police agencies, um, something called geolocation data. Now, geolocation data is essentially the, the digital uh, way of saying we have the physical address for the device that's logged onto the internet. So whenever you Google, whenever you are using your phone or your computer or an iPad or any type of device, the way that shakes hands and kind of steps into the internet is with an IP address. And that IP address is a very specific address that does not have a mailing address attached to it. And a company like MaxMind specializes in finding and attaching mailing addresses to IP addresses. Now, MaxMind had a tendency. They would, if they weren't sure what, where you were, they would just kind of take the center. So if they knew you were in Boston, they would 
choose the dead center point of Boston. If they thought you were in Texas, they would choose the dead center point of Texas. And if they thought you were in the U.S., they would choose the dead center point for the U.S., which happened to be the farm that those people were living on. In fact, after they sued the company who refused to help them, they discovered that over 600 million IP addresses had been associated with those addresses, which is why frequently all types of individuals were showing up. Because in the midst of those 600 million IP addresses, there were lots of criminal activity associated. That couple had no clue that there was this invisible thing underneath the surface that was shaping. And what Jesus understood when he was unpacking this passage, when he's pivoting, he's pointing to the little children who have this insight about the world and about who he is. And then he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. Jesus understood there's something happening in the culture that creates weary and burden. In the same way that there is this max mine on the internet that's shaping how police officials and IRS and government agencies are responding to IP addresses, Jesus understood and asked a question, a brilliant question, and had a brilliant understanding that our culture produces these type of people who are weary and burdened. And it wasn't just in the first century with the political culture, the, these Jewish nation that's under the Roman oppression and, and different factions. Like, we think we have genuine political factions between Republicans and Democrats. No, no. The first century Israel, like, first century Israel had legitimate warring factions. There were people who thought that they should overthrow the Roman government, and then there were people who were working for the Roman government. And sometimes they were kin to each other. You think your Thanksgiving dinners were awkward. Try sitting across the table from you want someone who you're absolutely convinced is a traitor, and if you had your way, you would kill them. Right? Like, this is the political culture of the day. And then throw on top of that the religious culture of the day. The religious leaders were the most influential leaders, and what they loved to do was put burdens on people. They had taken the Ten Commandments, and they would expanded them to 613 rules and statutes that you had to keep perfectly in order to be perfect. And if you did not, you were doomed, guilty, condemned. And they loved to heap that on people. In fact, they even said it was a yoke that you should wear, the yoke of the law. And what Jesus understood was not just in the first century that this is happening, that this is in every century occurrence, that as humans... There is invisible forces pressing in and washing into our lives all the time. We live in a culture, for example, that is influenced in ways that our culture has never been influenced before. 150 years ago, most people lived fairly consistently normal kind of compared to each other socioeconomically. If someone was incredibly wealthy, you had no clue what they were. You had no clue what their life was like. You could not even peek into it. Now, you can see people you like and you don't like, what they're doing on vacation, where they're going on vacation, inside their homes. With Zoom, when it rolled out, when the world kind of shut down, all of a sudden we were staring, not at just people's faces. We were staring into the houses they lived in. And we became self-conscious about the houses we lived in. 
And, oh, I don't have many books on my bookshelf. I don't look as smart as Jim. Look at all those books on Jim's bookshelf. I mean, there was literally businesses popping up during the pandemic where you could pay for a service and rent books where they would come in and they would fill up your bookshelf to make you look smarter. Like, that was an actual business in Boston because we became self-conscious about all these things. Like, we're hyper-aware. And we live in a world that regularly punches holes in our soul and then turns around and tries to sell us a product to patch it. I mean, that's the whole industry of beauty and fashion, of cars and houses. I mean, modern-day advertising is about punching a hole in your soul and then serving you the product to fill it. I need to make you feel bad about you so I can give you a product that's going to make you feel better. And Jesus was aware that we all live, and oftentimes we're not even aware, that there are voices behind our choices. We see the choices. We see the babies washed up on the shore, and we don't realize the invisible currents that shape us. These voices that constantly wash up and press into our lives. The voices that tell us we need to dress a certain way, act a certain way. The voices that tell us if we're ever going to be loved, this is what it looks like relationally. Voices that tell us, oh, if you ever want to be wanted, this is how you have to dress. The voices that are constantly placing expectations in our lives. Religiously, politically, socially. They come through social media. They come through our parents. They're oftentimes not taught. Like, no one ever sat you down and said, hey, son, I want you to know if you're ever going to make mom and me happy, then you're going to do this, and you're going to make us, you're going to bring A's. And I was listening to a guy this week who actually, his parents were like, oh, you know, we just want you to do the best that you can do in school. That's all we care about. But by the way, if you ever bring us anything less than an A, we know you're not actually giving your best. Like, some of us got that explicit growing up. But most of us, it was never, we were never sat down and taught it. We caught it. We internalized it. We saw enough pictures on our Instagram. We saw enough messaging in the magazines and the conversations that our friends had, and we internalized it. And those voices, those expectations start to shape our choices. And that sometimes these voices aren't external. Sometimes they're internal. They're the shoulds that we put on ourselves. I should do this. I should do this. I should do this. A good mom should do this. A good mom would do this. I mean, during the pandemic, you know, it was just watching specifically moms navigating it because it was like, oh, okay, moms, we need you to... Um, become IT specialist with Zoom, and then we need you to also make sure that you become kind of the assistant teacher to the classroom, because in the midst of all your IT fixes that you're going to do for your kid, the teacher's not going to have an IT person because they're not at school anymore, and so their internet's going to fail, and when their internet fails, you're going to have to swoop on over and manage all the kids in your household who are currently trying to learn in the midst of a pandemic. Oh, and you've got to be their comforter and their guider and their, their shepherd, and you've got to make sure you're their counselor and, and their motivator, and oh, you also have to be a, like a spouse, and you have to be someone who's going to like still stay physically fit where all you want to do is drink 
drink wine and eat Oreos at the end of every single day. And, you know, you also got to be a girl boss because you need to walk in and you need to tell people what to do and where they're going to do it and how they're going to do it and when they're going to get it done. And all in the midst of all these other things, you know, then you got to have a social media presence to show people that you're, you're at seeing it up and that you figured it all out and you've got your plan and look at all the cool things our kids are doing in the middle of the day. Like, we're not, we're like thriving during the pandemic, right? Like, there was just so much pressure. And no one ever sat any moms down and said, here's what it looks like to be successful. But we internalized it because we had this expectation, not, not we, not me, but you, that I got to be super mom. My house has to be clean and in order. My kids have to be clean and in order. My life has to be clean and in order. And all of that just creates a disaster waiting to happen. Why? Because these voices are driving our choices. They're pushing us and compelling us. And we don't even stop to think, is there, why is my legs moving? Because we're not even aware of the currents there. And Jesus understands enough about us that when he calls all who are weary and burdened, he recognizes that they live in a culture that produces weary and burdened people because of the voices that are shaping their choices. Because those voices are oftentimes the most toxic force in our life. Perfectionism, people-pleasing, I feel like a failure, I feel like I, I can never get ahead, I feel like I'm not enough. Well, like, we get that. And we externalize all the failures and struggles and we, we turn them in on ourselves and we self-loathing and hatred and, and guilt and shame. Right? There's so many of us in our culture who are walking around with guilt and shame about the last couple years that they weren't enough. As if somehow, like somehow you, you should have known what to do in the middle of a global pandemic, navigating life, work, family, home, and yourself. Like, sometimes I'd remind myself during a pandemic of, like, oh, this is my first pandemic. Right? Like, oh, this, you know what, I, Chris, this is the first time you've ever pastored during the pandemic. So it's, a, oh, this is the first time you've ever parented during a pan pandemic. Like, sometimes I had to remind myself, this is my first time. This was your first time. And that weight, if we're not careful, will crush us. And it leaves us weary and burdened. And Jesus understood. And so out of that, as I was processing through, I recognized that I can't tell you the voices shaping your life, but I, I've thought of some questions that I think would be helpful for you. Questions that are worth reflecting on. You're not going to be able to answer them right now, but I've put them in the app, and if you don't have the app, you can write them down because I promise you these are worth asking yourself when it comes to the voices behind our choices if we're going to soul detox this is what we need to do we have to ask where is it taking you you have to ask where are these voices taking me these voices that say i'm not enough the voices that say i've got to do it all the voices that say this is only what success looks like the voices that say this is only what it looks like to be loved and to be happy and to be wanted. Like, where is it taking you? And the follow-up to that 
is that where you want to go? Because I can tell you as a pastor, I've sat across the table, and one of the most depressing conversations I have with people are not the conversations with people that I have when they never get to the place they wanted to go. It's the ones who get to the place they wanted to go only to discover it was not where they wanted to go in the first place. They finally have the house. They finally have the degree. They, they finally have the financial freedom, but they don't have their family or they don't have their integrity. And guess what? It's really hard to go back and get all that. And it's better to ask the question before it gets you there, is this where you want to go? Another question is, what is it taking from you? Because it's not just taking you. It's also taking from you. And in the course of that journey and that pressure, what is it taking from you? And is that what you want to give up? Because again, the most devastating and tragic life that can ever be lived is not the people who lose at life. It's the ones who win in the wrong game of life. Because you end up giving up so much more than you ever, ever imagined. And the third question which is ultimately underneath what Jesus is inviting people to, is he understands this dynamic is the most powerful one of them all, is who is it turning you into? Because whenever we follow voices, whenever they're shaping our choices, it's transforming us. It's making us into something different. And some of us have said things in our 20s, in our teens, we're like, I'm never going to be her. I'm never going to be him. For me, uh, I graduated high school as the first one in my family to graduate high school, and then I was the first one in my family to go to college. And my mom is extraordinary, and I don't have the time to talk about how extraordinary she is, but let's just simply say that everyone else in the family was not that extraordinary, that she, She was the black sheep, and it was a good thing in that household growing up. And that she somehow carved out some sanity and some calmness for us to grow and thrive. And most of her family members and my family members uh, were alcoholics and drug addicts and had spent time in jail and in prison. And I remember thinking, I'm never going to be those people. I'm never going to be those people, never going to be like her, never going to be like him. And then I get to college, help start a fraternity, and I discover alcohol, and I discover drugs, and I'm starting to look in the mirror, and I'm becoming like the people that I never said I would become like. And the question is, is that who you want to become? Because you're becoming like someone. Now, it's happening slow, and you don't realize it, but you are becoming someone. And for me, that was a wake-up call. I don't want to be this. And I'm so grateful that Jesus doesn't just call attention, but that underneath it, he's saying, look, is, is what you're doing worth what it's doing to you? Is how you're living worth what it's doing to you? And if not, there's an invitation And his invitation is come. All. I love the fact that he made sure he said all. 
No religious, no life, get it together before you come to me. He's like, no, come all who are weary and burdened. Come to me. Take my yoke. Yoke was a way of conveying being under the authority of, following someone. He's like, conform to me. Become like me. But right before he gave that invitation, he told them something. He said, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things. Right? And then he makes this statement. All things have been committed to me by my Father. You have to realize, like, in, in church world, even if you didn't grow up in church, it doesn't take that long of being around church to realize people call God their Father. Right? And, and, like, that's not even a weird thing. You just kind of, oh, that must be the thing that they do. But in first century Israel, you did not call God your father. Because to call God your father and to say specifically, no one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son, this is, this is Jesus equating himself with, G, with God's divinity. This is an elevation that is incredibly blasphemous for his day. He's stepping out and claiming an exclusivity and an insight that's vastly way outside the bounds of what any really good teacher would have done. When people are like, oh, Jesus is just a good, a good teacher, I'm like, you clearly have no clue what a good teacher and first century rabbi is because you can't call Jesus a good teacher because no good teacher ever claims to be God. If, if you called me a good teacher and I got up here and said I was God, you would quickly retract that label. You'd be like, he's crazy. And this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, I'm, I'm him. I'm God. And the invitation to come only has authority, only has power because of who's saying it. Because when you understand who he is, then it changes what he's offering. Right? There is this um, old kind of country gospel song that's like, because he lives, right? I can face tomorrow because he lives. All fear is gone because I know who holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. Right? He is different, and his invitation is different. When you understand he's alive, then it changes how you live. When you understand he is love, it changes how you pursue love. I don't wake up trying to find someone to love me. I wake up already loved. I don't Wake up trying to find purpose and cover up the holes in my soul. I wake up already on purpose, 
with a purpose. I don't wake up trying to find the, the key to the lock to break the chains. I wake up unchained already. Why? Be because he lives. Because of who he is. And because his invitation is distinctly different because he's Jesus, he's God, and he calls all who are weary and burdened to come follow him and to take his yoke upon them. Because it's easy, which is a really bad English translation for the word. It's better good. Because sometimes following him isn't easy, but it's always good. Because I know that Jesus is better. He is better than anyone texting me and saying, oh, you look so good. He's better than anyone walking up to me and like, oh, you spoke so well. He's so much better than anything I could ever find on this earth. And some of us are chasing and spending our lives looking for something that is right in front of us. It's like if you've ever lost your keys when they're in your pocket, you'll never find them. And some of us grew up coming and exposed the church, and we've been looking for all the things that Jesus promised us, but we've been looking for it in relationships, we've been looking for it in finances, we've been looking for it in people's attention and affection, we've been looking for it in all these other things. Oh, if I only get that car, if I only get that house, if I only had those group of friends, if I only had that many followers on Instagram or TikTok, right, then I'd be happy. If I only made that sports team, the reality is Jesus is like, come to me. Are you weary? Are you burdened? Do you feel like there are holes in your soul that you can't fill? Then come. Come to me. Because I've got a way of living that's better. Because I'm better. And when you live following me, life you're better at life because of me. Because honestly, following Jesus does make you better at relationships. It does make you better at your finances. It does make you better at conflict and grief and navigating uncertainty. It makes you better at all of those things. But it's an invitation to a journey, which is why he says, right? Like, I'm not just the voice. You have to make the choice. He says, put my yoke upon you, take my yoke upon you, and learn from me. Some of that means unlearning some of the things that you've learned. Some of it means unfollowing the voices in your life that's shaping your choices. And to come follow me, learn from me, that it's a journey. It's not just enough to believe. It's, it's about Belonging with him. Following alongside of him. That's the invitation. That's why next month I'm really excited about two things that we have coming up. <coughs> because if we're going to listen to the voice, then we have to lean in with our choice. And I want to make sure that we're doing that for you. And that we're giving you those opportunities. The first is a small group kind of journey. It's interactive. Um, it's, I'm really excited about it. It's going to be a little different. Um, it's called Follow. It's just kind of the first part of a journey that we'll take through the summer. And it's a four-week group. So just four weeks, beginning June 1st, 7 p.m., Wednesday nights, here. And um, over those course of four weeks, 
I do think you can get a deeper connection with God, but also a, a better connection with others here. Because there's a lot of people who are new to the church who are trying to learn and get to know others at the church. And so Wednesday, 7 p.m., if you're interested, encounterchurch.com forward slash follow. Here's the thing. Because of how interactive it is, because of what we're going to be doing through different opportunities present in there, you're going to have to sign up ahead of time and let us know. Um, because this is going to be different. And it's going to be fun. And it's going to help us learn what it means to really follow them. And then the other thing, I just want to give you a heads up, pun fully intended, that next month we have another women's event. And, um, and so in the next week or so, you're going to hear about the dates for that. Uh, you're going to hear about the details for that, but I just wanted to go ahead and put it on your radar um, and give you a heads up, and because no one's laughing, that's a heads, and that's an actual head, so I'm giving a heads up, and um, my daughter didn't get that either this morning, I was really disappointed, and I just thought she couldn't catch it, and I was like, but they'll catch it, and nobody called it, so I'm glad I got Jesus, okay, so um, all right, so next month, really excited about that, June we're going to be leaning in, um, not we, because I will not be there. I'm not allowed to be there, but the ladies will be. And for those who went last month, uh, for the last one that we had, uh, you know how powerful it was. It was an incredible, incredible uh, night, and this one is going to be really exciting too. So next month, heads up. It's coming. Pay attention. Watch out. All right? So um, but what Jesus ultimately understood is that there is voices in our life shaping our choices. Those voices are playing out every single day. And we have to become aware of those voices. And those three questions that's embedded in the app that we looked at earlier are a great starting point to becoming aware and tuning our heart and our mind to be aware of the invisible current that's washing up into our life. And if we can become aware of those voices and begin to replace that with the voice and make that our choice, then what we can find is something incredible called soul detox. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you that you're alive. And because you're alive, it changes everything. And because you're alive, the hope that comes from you changes everything too. I pray that you would help us to become aware of the voices shaping our choices, that you would, even this morning, make us sensitive to the chains on our wrist, to the people shaping our lives. Thank you for how good you are, for how light your invitation is, for how bright your invitation is. And I pray that we would be people who, even today, would take that step believing that you're enough and that you're sufficient. And it's in your name, Jesus, I pray. Amen. So uh, we're going to wrap up today with a song, but before we do...